know, that's uh, that is one of the Keith Green's songs. And you'll notice the he gets a number of the names of of Christ in there. Just even in the first verse, you know, uh, there is a Redeemer, uh, Jesus, God's own Son. Uh, you know, it's uh, Lamb of God, Messiah, Holy One. It's uh, just a, a real powerful song of worship. And he also gets in there the the fact that he's King and and uh, just uh, the precious Lamb of God, Messiah, Holy One. I really love that song. Which leads me to where I want to begin this morning. Uh, and let's uh, again go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we open Your Word this morning, we ask that You would be with us. Open our hearts and our minds through Your Holy Spirit to receive from Your Word. We confidently come and, and ask You to guide us, direct us, enrich us, teach us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Kids are dismissed. You ever get a song? I, I, I know this is this. Take this as a rhetorical question, okay? Do you ever get a song trapped in your head, and the next thing you know, it's it's with you sometimes for a couple of hours, sometimes for a couple of days, sometimes it, you know it can be with you for a week. And I had a song, a chorus, a worship chorus, get get trapped, if you will. And of all the songs to get trapped, it was it was an actual blessing to have it keep popping up through the week. Uh, and it's just a real simple chorus. Uh, maybe you'll remember it from the 70s uh, when a lot of the chorus worship was going on. Kinsman, Redeemer. I'm just going to not going to sing it. I'm going to just read the words, okay? Kinsman, Redeemer, Passover Lamb, Righteous Branch, Servant, The Great I Am. Liberty, sufficiency, my all in all, my kinsman, my redeemer, my Passover lamb. Just a simple chorus. And uh, we, the, the Keith Green song parallels that again with the idea of getting that, the Lamb of God, that picture in there. And uh, so as I was going though through kinsman, kinsman, redeemer, it got me also stuck to the first time I you see the word kinsman redeemer in scripture and it's in the book of Ruth. And about a year ago it's or within the last year we went through the book of Ruth and you'll notice that we skipped it in our reading cycle uh because we had just gone through it not that long ago. And uh so we didn't preach on it either. But you're going to get a little bit of Ruth this morning starting off. First off, if you go to the book of Ruth, you'll find that there's... Uh, and, and I'm just going to do a recap. I'm not going to go Scripture by Scripture or anything like that this morning. But Ruth uh, is, is the story of, of uh, Boaz, Ruth, and, the, and, and Kinsman Redeemer. Boaz the kin, is Kinsman Redeemer in the story. So it will give you a recap. Naomi and Elimelech and their two sons are living in Bethlehem and there's a famine and they they can't they're not, not don't seem to be able to survive and so they leave Bethlehem and go into Moab where they hear there's food and uh, they stay in Moab well, while in Moab, Elimelech dies, and it appears he dies very soon. So now Naomi is a widow. And then her sons get married, and they marry Moabite women. And then both her sons die. And the two uh, widows of, their, of the sons 
uh, Orpha and, and, and Ruth. And they stay with Naomi, which would be the traditional thing to do in most of the cultures at that time of that. Uh, and, and they help support and they work in the fields. They do whatever they can to get by. And they're just getting by. They're, you know, and while they're working in the fields, Naomi hears that God has blessed Israel again. By the way, Ruth is written during the Judges. And, you know, it was up and down. God kept having to bring judgment and things would go bad. Famines, this type of thing. And then God would bless again. Well, he, she hears that God is blessing the land again and there's food in Bethlehem. So she decides the, the, the thing for her to do is to return back to her hometown and the place of her families in Bethlehem. And what would traditionally happen would be that their, the, the daughter-in-laws would go with her. Well, she released them from their obligation. Said, go home, be with your own family. She says, I'm not at a point where I'll ever be able to produce uh, uh, children again. There will be no husbands from me to, for you to marry. Uh, and so go back to your own families and kind of start over. And Orpha does. She, she goes back. But Ruth says, no. And we have this uh, uh, famous phrase that, that has been probably the part of Ruth that's been repeated more than any others. And let me start with uh, chapter 1, verse 15. It says, and she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back. This is Naomi speaking to Ruth. Uh, has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Wow, what a powerful statement. What she's basically doing is making a, a confession of faith there. She says, I'm following after your God. I'm not going back to the Moabite gods. You realize what a unique thing is happening here? A Moabite woman is going to go back with a Jewish woman to Bethlehem. And if we, and through the things that we've been talking about, you know, and, and reading through the Scriptures, the Moabites were the enemies of the, of the Hebrew people. And so, she's going back to possibly really hard times, difficult situations. She will at best be a stranger in the land. However, it's interesting. If you go through Leviticus and, and other parts of Scriptures, you'll find that God has provided even for the strangers of the land as they come through or as they stay, that they are allowed to glean the fields and, and, and get sustenance and survive. So, here's Naomi. She's a widow. She goes with Ruth and, and, and Ruth is, is, is a widow and they return to Bethlehem. And Ruth says basically, I will go and glean the fields. I will work in the fields. And, and what a gleaner does, by the way, I don't know if, if you completely understand what that is, but first you have the, 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 the reapers or the harvesters. And you, know, you have that long pole with a sigh on the end of it, and they go through slashing the wheat. And then the, the, the women would come along behind and tie up the, the things into sheaves. And uh, bringing in the sheaves, you know, uh, uh, and and you would have that that picture. Okay, in the process of doing that, after the sheaves are picked up, there is grain left all over the place. There are areas in the field that don't ever get cut, and so there's there's grain to be had there. And God says to the Hebrew people, "You don't go back and 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 pick a second time. You don't go back and harvest." Uh, what you left behind, and you don't go back and pick up the grain that's sitting in the field and the, and the edges in the corners you'll leave alone. That's for the strangers and, and the people in need that, that need food. So God had made a provision, a system where even the poorest person could find sustenance. Ruth says to Naomi, let's go and and do this. Now, Naomi uh, you know, says basically go for it and, and, 
And so she, uh, you know, she goes and, and, and she goes into the fields, wrote Ruth, goes into the fields after the, the, the reaping has happened and, 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 the, and the tying of the sheaves and stuff starts to glean. And as she's going through the fields, she gets to the area of what's, what, which is owned by Boaz. And Boaz, uh, you know, is, looks at her and, and, and sees her working and he says, I don't recognize, he says to one of his servants, to one of the, 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 the heads of the field, I don't know this woman. Who is she? Oh, that's Ruth, daughter of, uh, daughter-in-law of Naomi. She's really a hard worker and taking care of her mother and it goes on and builds, you know, just a, power, a powerful picture of, of all that she is doing. And he says, well, make sure she gets this spot, this spot, this spot, and, you know, special areas, and, and, uh, leave a little extra grain behind over here and over there for her to get. She comes home with a rather large amount of grain. Plus, she got to sit at his table and eat lunch. And, and so she says, boy, you won't believe, Naomi, what happened? <laughs> and she says, well, where, whose field were you in? Well, the field of Boaz. And Naomi says, oh, he's a relative. In fact, he's one of our kinsmen redeemer. And here's the word that comes into play. A kinsman redeemer. He is a person who is a member of a family who when a, a family has to, let's say you, you've, you've run into hard times and you've, you've uh, had to sell your, your property and now you have to sell yourself into servitude. A kinsman redeemer can come along and redeem you by paying the debt you owe to the person that you sold yourself into servanthood. And he can even buy back your land for you so that it stays within your family. And if necessary, he would even marry a widow. And as soon as there was a son, he would be the heir to the land, not not the, the Redeemer. Isn't that a powerful picture again of, of, of sacrifice and giving? And God had this all laid out through Scripture that this was how it would work. Because you've got to remember, when they moved into the Promised Land, God gave them their land. And they were to keep it how long? Forever. And so, this is this picture, what a kinsman Redeemer was there to do. He was also one who would not only produce an error, not only buy back, but he would also be, and, and I'm, I'm cautious with this one because some people get nervous about hearing it, it's called the blood avenger. But if someone came into the family and murdered the husband or, or murdered someone, he would be obligated to do justice and, 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 and follow through with what would be the death penalty. And kill the murderer. So you've got this, this person, he's a blood avenger. He takes, he, uh, when, when your life has been stolen from you uh, and, and your death has, has come upon you, he's there to redeem you even there. And, and so this picture of, of, of Boaz, it says, Ruth, or Naomi says, he's our kinsman redeemer. And he says, one of, yeah, not the only one. He, he's, he's one of our kinsman redeemers. Now, the requirements, so think about this. The requirements for a kinsman redeemer has to be a near relative. Well, in Ruth chapter 2, we find he's, Boaz is a near relative. Uh, so, he's a kinsman. Okay? A, a member of the family, extended family. He needs to have the means... To bring about the redemption. God has, has to have blessed him with resources to be the redeemer to purchase back uh, land or, or, or purchase someone out of slavery to, to take care of the needs in that way and, and to put things back to, to normal. So he has to have the means. Well, uh, as you look at, at Ruth, uh, the book of Ruth, you know, he, was a, he had 
lands, he had servants, and he had the means. He was a wealthy man. But one more thing had to be there. And we see this clearly in the, in the book of Ruth because Boaz was not the first in line redeemer. There was one ahead of him. And so they met at the gate. You know, all the business was done at the gate with the elders of the, of the community at the gate. And they would have, be the witnesses to business transactions and everything else that happened. It happened at the gate. And, and he sat down and, and this other relative sat down and he came up and said, you know, uh, Naomi's daughter-in-law, uh, uh, you know, he, st- he says Naomi's husband was, was, uh, uh, died and, 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 uh, the property needs to be redeemed. And he's, he was willing. He says, oh, I can, I can redeem it. And he would have use of it in, in, in a, in a sense, in a way. Uh, but it would also be in just an obligation. And uh, he, he said, uh, I'll do that. And he says, well, not only that, if you take the property, you have to take what comes with it, <laughs> which is the daughter-in-law, Ruth. The guy says, no. People have all sorts of attitudes as to, uh, and theories as to why he was so abruptly saying no. Was it because she was a Moabite? Was it because uh, he, he was already married? He didn't want another wife? Whatever it was, he said no. And Boaz says, fine, I'll take care of it all. I'll do it. And so, he had the desire to do it. In fact, he, he knew when he got, I think he knew before he ever got to the gate how it was going to transpire and that he was going to end up marrying Ruth. And he'd already told her, I'm going to take care of this thing first thing tomorrow. When, and so, you, you've got this picture. He's, he's, he's a kinsman. He's got the means. And he's got the desire Chapter 4 of Ruth is the follow-through, him doing it all. And uh, what we have here is something that, that uh, Brad mentioned a couple of weeks ago in, in, in his sermon. We have what is called the scarlet thread or the crimson thread, scarlet thread. All through Scripture we have this picture of, of linking one book of, of Scripture to another in the sense of, of Jesus Christ showing up in all the books of the Bible. And, and the first place we have that is, is Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, where, where Satan is cursed and, and he says, you'll bruise his, the, the uh, heel of, of the seed of woman, but the seed of woman will come up and, and crush your head. That's a picture of Christ's victory over, over Satan at the cross. That's, that's what's pictured there. You know, that's the first thought of this crimson thread. Well, here is Boaz. He's part of this too. In fact, I'd just like to read one, one, one verse out of, out of here. Uh, in Ruth chapter 4, it says, uh, And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, A son has been born to Naomi. Now, Ruth had a son. Uh, his name would be, was Obed. And, and so the, the, the women named him Obed. And and he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. What does that mean? It means that Ruth is in the lineage of Christ. Boaz and Ruth. He's a redeemer kinsman. He's a reflection, a foreshadowing. Again, what we learned a couple of weeks ago from, from Brad's sermon was a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. So I was writing down here, okay, Jesus, you know, following this scarlet thread. If you go to Matthew uh, uh, chapter 1 and look at the genealogy, you'll see very clearly uh, these names, Obed and, and, and Jesse and, and David, of course, and, and, and you can follow through. And so Jesus, is, his lineage is, is tied to this. And, and uh, we have... Jesus ultimately coming out of this as the ultimate kinsman redeemer. Well, in order for Jesus to be the kinsman redeemer, he has to meet the same criteria that Boaz met. And there's a there's for some people there might be a dilemma here. What one thing do you know about Jesus in fact in the matter of his physical wealth? He didn't even have a place to lay his head. 
So, what's the difference here? Well, first off, we have to remember what he's purchasing and how it's purchased. As a kinsman redeemer, he has to be a relative. What does John chapter 1 say? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And then it tells us very clearly, and the Word, in verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. In Hebrews chapter 2, we have uh, the Scriptures uh, talking about His humanity, uh, His becoming a, a man. Uh, and, and so, in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 through 17, uh, we have... Uh, I'm in the wrong spot. <laughs> Hang on just a second. The right Scripture, wrong page. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood... This is the, the author of Hebrews speaking. He himself likewise, Jesus, partook of the same things. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. And deliver all these who have fear of death with uh, sub, uh, subject to lifelong slavery. See what a redeemer redeeming people from slavery? It's, old and, uh, it's, it's all there. For surely it is, he's there to, to help the offspring of Abraham. It says here that you know, he became flesh and John and here it says he had to become like us. Okay? So he becomes part of the family of, of man. He needed to have the means to do this. Well, Hebrews chapter 2, again, uh, verses, uh, starting with verse 11. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, again the idea of family, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I am the child of God has given me. And so, uh, the idea of his, he's part of the family of God. And if we go to 1 Peter uh, and, and look there, we see how he is able to, to pay. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Knowing that you were ransomed from the uh, futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. In other words, not the kind of wealth that man thinks about. The kind of wealth that Boaz had, silver and gold. But with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And it automatically makes you think, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. From, you know, in John one twenty nine, where, where when uh, John the Baptist sees Jesus, he says, "Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world." Without spot or blemish, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. What was it that we needed? We needed the blood of the perfect Lamb, a man being the substitute for us. The Lamb of God. Jesus Christ. All of the Old Testament sacrificial lamb were a foreshadowing of Christ. He is a relative. He became flesh. He has the means to pay His blood. And according to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 10, he also had the desire. Look at John, chapter 10, verses 17 and 18. 
For this reason, the Father loves me. Jesus is speaking. Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. He's willing. He says, I choose to lay it down. Even in the garden where, where, where he, he looks at the, at the cross and, 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 and he, he knows the, 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 the depth of the penalty of sin, the separation that, where he will cry out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In fact, he knew those words before that ever happened. From, from the Psalms that, that David wrote, you know, my God, my God, Psalm 22, why hast thou forsaken me? And as he looked to that, he sweat the, 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 the anxiety of sweating the tear and, 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 and looking ahead and the separation. And, and then what were his words? Not my will, but thy will be done. He was a willing sacrifice. He didn't have to be dragged. He went. We get to the, the cross and we have the final words of Jesus recorded in, in John chapter 19. I think it's verse 30 where He says, you know, Jesus uh, says it is finished and then He gave up His Spirit. It is finished. And it says He cried out, it is finished. All the time that we, 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 we read these words and we talk about it and you hear it in a message, you know, we use it so calmly, it is finished. I'm not going to say it as loud as it was implied by the word cry out, but it's much louder than what we normally hear in a sermon. He cried out. It was something people could hear. And I believe at a distance. It is finished. It's done. Paid in full is literally what that word means. It is finished. So what I've done is I've gone through the life of Christ in a, in a nutshell and gotten through Good Friday and, and, we've, and Jesus is taken off the cross and buried. But today's the day we celebrate His resurrection. The empty tomb. And so I wrote down a phrase that has become very popular after a, a sermon a number of years ago. It was Friday, but Sunday was coming. In John chapter 20, and we'll just, I'm just going to use John, we have what happened on the day of the empty tomb, if you will. The first ten verses. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and to the other disciple. Now, the other disciple is John. He's the one writing this, and he always calls himself through this Scripture, the other one or the other disciple. The one whom Jesus loved, and he said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have taken Him. So Peter went out, and, 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 and he just blew him out of the, out of the room with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple, he outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stopping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there. But he did not go in. So John just puts it into full gear, runs, outruns Peter, and he gets to the tomb, and he gets like this, and he looks in. And he just stays there. Okay? That's where, where John is at this point. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. And so he could see the tomb was what? Empty. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. Simon just, you know, that's Simon's thing. I'm going to walk on the water. I'm going to jump into the water. I'm going to do, you know. And he, he just he went right into the tomb. And, and, 
he saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and he believed. doesn't tell us what he believed, for as yet they did not understand the Scripture that he must rise from the dead. But he knew something supernatural had happened. That's what the, the intent is here. John goes away thinking something has happened here. And, 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 and Peter goes away not sure about what is going on at all. And it says the disciples went back to their homes. Okay, so there's this first picture of, of the, the empty tomb. And I was reading an article that I found most amazing was the interesting thing. Now, we, the cross represents Friday. We have an empty cross to, to, to make the, the implication. The cross is empty uh, because Jesus is not there. He is alive. But if you think about it, what's the real symbol of Jesus is alive? The empty tomb. Have you ever seen anybody wear an empty tomb <laughs> necklace? I haven't seen it. <laughs> You know, but you think about it, that, that seems to be one of the things that, that, that would symbolize the, the, the reality. But, but we have this, this, this awesome empty tomb that has been discovered here. Well, when the disciples went back, Mary stayed at the tomb. And it says, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stood to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in while sitting there the body of Je- where the body of Jesus had lain. One at the head of, uh, and one at the, at the feet. And they, and they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid Him. And having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Don't ask me why. It doesn't tell us. I, I believe it's very possible that she's, she's simply with her head down. You know, but it could be that simple. She doesn't recognize him at this point. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that He has, uh, and what He said in these things to her. All of this is, is, is just this amazing sequence of events. She sees an empty tomb. Now she sees Jesus. She goes back and tells them, they haven't seen Him. They're not sure if she's delusional or what. And they don't get excited about it right away. They're, 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 they're wondering what's going on here. And then they're meeting together in an upper room. And all of a sudden, there's Jesus in their presence. And again, you know, you, you, you can't imagine what was going through their minds. The, the song that, that uh, uh, Don Francisco writes about Peter uh, through all of this was that Peter fell, falls and, 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 and cries out, you know, He's alive. He's alive. By the way, in this first meeting, Thomas wasn't there. The only disciple that wasn't. He says, I'm not going to believe. I, I hear what you're saying. But I'm not going to believe until I can touch his scarred hands and put my hand at his, in his side. Where he, and that's where he was speared. They're meeting together all of them with Thomas, and Jesus appears. And he touches Jesus. He feels him. 
He's real. It's bodily. It's not a ghost. It's not a spirit. It's a physical person. I can touch His hand and feel the wound in it. I can touch His side where it was speared. By the way, when John sees Jesus in, in Revelation, it says He was standing there with His wounds. Jesus carries those wounds to be a reminder to us, I believe, eternally, all that He has done for us. I need to sum this up faster than I intended, but uh, I, I want to turn to 1 Corinthians 15. This is how Paul reports the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the Gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the Word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as the first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, or Peter, and then to the twelve, and then He appeared to, to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then He appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. And last of all, he, he, uh, to one who was untimely born, He appeared also to me. What, what Paul is basically saying is, there are a whole bunch of people that saw Him. And he even says, over 500 people at one time. That might have been at the Ascension. We don't know exactly what that situation was. And, and, but he's saying, and most of them are still alive. You can check. You can validate. You can see. And, and so, he says, this is what I give to you. This is what happened. But then he ties to that what happened at the cross. Verse 20. In fact, Jesus has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man, kinsman, has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so all in Christ shall be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at the coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when He delivers the kingdom of God the Father and destroying every rule and every authority and every power. For He must reign until He has put all the enemies under His feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. By the way, Anytime you hear a pastor say death is our friend at a funeral and, and, and it's our transition, it, I, I respect the man. I don't know ands, ifs, or buts about anybody getting up there to do a message at a funeral, that type of thing. Death has never been our friend and it'll never be our friend. It's always been the enemy. It is the result of sin and it is destroyed through the resurrection of Jesus Christ for all who believe. Death is destroyed. And then look at verse uh, 50 in, in, in 1 Corinthians 15. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. And then this powerful statement, oh death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus' resurrection was just the first fruits to 
what is going to happen to all who believe. We will be resurrected. Death is swallowed up in victory. I think of 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 4, where it says, what is mortal is swallowed up by life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Me. And so all of this comes together in that picture that, that, that we've sang, half the songs we've sang are pointing to that picture. Jesus, the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. How does He do it? Through His death, He has the means, the shedding of His blood, His perfect sacrifice, and He redeems us. We are redeemed. I think of the kids' song. I am redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I am redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I am redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Filled with the Holy Ghost I am. All my sins are washed away. I've been redeemed. Our kinsman Redeemer, Jesus Christ. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I think this would be a good point to sing our communion song, Lamb of God. We are using the packets that are on the table out there for communion. If you didn't get one coming in, feel free to, while we're singing, get up and get one and and uh, come back in, please. The resurrection is, is the pivot point in our faith. If it doesn't happen, Paul, in the same chapter that I was reading from 1 Corinthians 15, says, 
we're all to be, you know, pitied if it didn't happen. That's why he went through so much time there to say, all these people saw him. It did happen. The tomb is empty. Some people say, well, the, 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 they'll even go with what the, the Pharisees told the soldiers to say. Oh, we saw the disciples stealing him. So these trained soldiers couldn't catch up with people carrying a dead body. Yeah, I mean, that in itself is kind of ridiculous. Well, the wrong tomb. Don't you think the Pharisees knew which tomb it was? Don't you think the Romans knew which tomb it was? You know, and the seal that would be on it. Uh, they knew where it was. They would have produced the body. There's so many different uh, explanations, but the reality is the tomb was empty because there's a bodily, physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. In First Corinthians, or, uh, Romans chapter uh, 10, uh, Again, frequently heard verses from me, but because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, then you'll be saved. We don't only say He is Lord. We can't just say He's a good teacher. In order for salvation to be real, we must accept that God raised Him from the dead. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the Scripture says, everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. Jesus, the night that He was betrayed, the night before the cross, He instituted what we call the Last Supper. And he took the bread, the meal, and after giving thanks, he broke it. And he gave each of the disciples a piece. He said, this is my body. What is he saying? I came in the flesh. That way he can be our kinsman. This is my body. Broken for you. He asked us as often as we would share this bread, that we would do so in remembrance of him. Let us share it now. At the end of the meal, he took the cup of blessing and he, I believe he held it out to them and he said, this is my blood poured out to purchase the covenant, the new covenant. What he was referring to is the covenant of grace. And he said, as often as you drink this, do it in remembrance of me until I come again. So that tells us that tied to, the, to even communion is the reality of the resurrection the resurrected Christ will come again. And so we long for that day. Maranatha, come soon, Lord Jesus, is a phrase that's perfectly right for us to say. And we share the cup, remembering Him and all that He has done for us, our kinsman, Redeemer. Father, we thank You for this day that You have blessed us with. We ask, Lord, that as we go our different ways, many of us having family activities and things to, to enjoy this special day, cause us to find opportunities. I would ask, Lord, that You would bring to mind uh, something, that, stick a song in our heart, <laughs> whatever, that You would remind us through the day that this is the day we celebrate Your resurrection. But the reality is, every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. Every day is a day of celebrating your resurrection and what You've done for us. We worship You. We praise You. We thank You. Go with us, Lord, as we go our own ways that we might walk with You, worship You, and draw close to You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Would you stand as we close? And uh, thank You for being here this morning. Lord bless. Have a wonderful rest of the day.
Savior came from glory, how he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about his groaning, of his precious blood atoning. Then I repented of my sins and won the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with His redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew Him, and all my love is due Him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. I heard about His healing, of His cleansing power revealing, how He made the lame to walk again, and caused the blind to see. And then I cried, Dear Jesus, come and hear my broken spirit. And somehow Jesus came and brought to me the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He stopped me and bought me with His redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew Him, and all my love is due Him. Plunge me to victory beneath the cleansing sun. I heard about a mansion he has built for me in glory. And I heard about the streets of gold beyond the crystal sea. About the angels singing and the old redemption story. And some sweet day I'll sing up there the song of victory. Of victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He stopped me and bought me with His redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew Him, and all my love is due Him. Plunge me to victory beneath the cleansing sun. He is risen. He is risen Amen.